How was your Mother's Day, Meg? Oh, it was lovely. How was your Mother's Day? It was cool. Uh, we had, uh, I used to own a deli. Yeah. And, uh, deli, by the way. yeah, we had this sandwich called the Clinster, super original, uh, in terms of the name. And we made Clinsters yesterday. So what's in a Clinster? Breaded chicken, smoked turkey, bacon, cream cheese, barbecue sauce, pepper jack, honey, wheat toasted, on with honey butter bread uh honey butter it's cool it's really good is that a clint invention did you come up with it it's like a mix between like a few things have you ever had like an urban cowboy at gandalfo's i'm not a big sandwich gal you know mm, i'm a big sandwich person well you'd have to be to own a deli i think yeah Welcome to the Beehive Live. It's Monday. My name is Clint Betts. Meg Walter is here. Meg had a great Mother's Day. She was just telling me. Sure did. Congratulations. Congratulations on being a mother. Yeah, you know, it's not easy. So I thank you. A lot of work. Yeah, congrats. Congrats on all the work you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Congrats to uh, you for knowing mothers. Yeah, I know a couple moms. Being married to a mom. I know a few moms. Yeah. Tell me. The accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Father's Day is really funny because, uh, you know, it's not as hard. It doesn't seem like. <laughs> to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> Father's Day, every year on Father's Day, it's like, is this really that different from every other day? <laughs> you guys have never had a huge problem like receiving praise or being recognized or any of that. But I care about the fathers in my life, so it's a day recognizing. Yeah. Um, you wanna you wanna get into it? Let's do it. Okay. Um, we, we it's been a while since we've talked about kind of coronavirus, right? Like the actual nitty gritty of coronavirus and where we are uh, numbers wise, case wise, rate of infection and so on. Uh, we have been at the orange phase, in the orange phase for a little over a week now. Um, and I don't know, I think it's still early, too early to tell what effect that has had on our rate of infection and the number of people who are going to the hospital and so on and so forth. I think we maybe need another week or two to see that. But uh, we did have the deadliest week so far that we've had with coronavirus last week. We had more people die last week than had died any previous week, putting the number of deaths at 67. Um, total cases is 6,251. Now the state has started releasing um, recovered cases. I don't have that number right now, but it is interesting. Recovered means that the diagnosis was three over three weeks ago and that person did not pass away. Um, there have been 512 hospitalizations total. And then Clint, we have tested 146,510 people for coronavirus, which is a, a big number. Um, we've also started yeah. to, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, that is a big number. I think uh, because of that, we're one of the seven states that um, qualifies. I know it doesn't seem to matter 
what the but the White House guidelines that Fauci and others put out in terms of like this is everything you need to do in order to be able to open up parts of your economy. It seems like Utah um, is one of the seven states that meets those criteria, which is interesting. Very interesting. I've got to shut a window because I just realized there's a window open. You can hear my lawnmower. Keep talking when I do that. You have a lawnmower going? Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, good. Good filler. Good talking while I shut that window. That was really good on-the-spot performance. Um, so they've also started breaking down where people are getting infected, uh, which is interesting. So we have, of everyone, those 6,251 total cases, and as far as they've been able to identify where those came from, we have 2% that comes from the healthcare. So those are your doctors and your nurses who are getting infected by taking care of COVID-19 patients. Uh, 213 from travel, so out-of-state travel, you're traveling to a hotspot, bringing it back. 937 cases, or 15.8%, is in-state travel with a known contact. So you went somewhere else outside of your city and came in contact with someone who has COVID-19. 18% uh, like unknown. They still don't know where these people got coronavirus or how. Uh, and then this is this was surprising to me. 60.4% or 3,577 cases came from a known contact. So they hung out with someone, found out later that person had coronavirus. And of that, the overwhelming majority, 60% is from someone in your household. So your spouse gets it, your kid gets it, your mom gets it. 24.7% uh, social. So again, really underlines the importance of social distancing, 10% unspecified, and only 5% coming from the workplace. So to me, that indicates that people are still working from home uh, and or being very careful when they're at work. Sounds like we should be a little more careful with the social stuff, you know? Keep social distancing, keep wearing your mask, because we are getting a significant number of infections coming from social exposure. And then household, I mean, what do you do, right? Well, if someone in your family has it and you live with them, what choice do you have? Yeah. Uh, and I know in China, they started setting up like these isolation centers where if you have, if you tested positive, you're, uh, you're sent away to this hospital, like these makeshift hospitals they built. And my understanding is we don't have anything like that here. So I guess it's kind of assumed that if you're, someone in your household gets COVID-19, you too are eventually going to get COVID-19. Yeah. So Clint, I have a question for you. Uh, you know, we had all this talk of flattening the curve. We wanna make sure our hospitals are ready, right? And from everything I've heard, uh, healthcare professionals here, Angela Dunn, the state epidemiologist, the governor's office, everyone has said, okay, our hospitals are ready. Does that mean that now we are operating under the assumption that just a lot of people are gonna get this? And is that necessary? Or are we just all waiting for this vaccine, trying to keep the rate of infection as low as possible? Cause that's a long time, right? I continue to believe that no one actually knows what they're talking about when yeah. it comes to this stuff. And uh, everyone's just doing the very best they can with the information we have. And the information changes quite a bit. 
Um, you know, an example of that is like a, just like a month, month and a half ago, most people were saying you don't wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. And now that's uh, flipped into, you know, this huge political thing where uh, you should wear a mask and, and masks are important and everyone needs to wear them. And so I think it's changed a lot uh, in terms of you know, what people know and what people don't know. And, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of experts on COVID-19. There's experts, obviously, on uh, viruses and, and things like coronaviruses. But uh, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. And I think at some point, you know, we're all just kind of guessing and hoping that we get it right. It's a little terrifying. I keep waiting for someone to spell it all out, you know for someone to come forward and say like, okay, look, here's everything you need to know top to bottom about this and what's safe to do and what's not safe to do and what to expect. And there's just, I don't think there's anyone who is able to do it, you know? And that's a, that's a little scary, but I guess all we can do is just try and stay safe. Well, it does seem like the whole reason for uh, doing social distancing and everybody staying home and all that type of stuff was to give our hospitals and medical professionals time to gear up so that they weren't overwhelmed. And now if, if the idea is, Hey, they're geared up and they're ready for this and they have the supplies and everything that they need. And we have a robust enough testing program here in the state of Utah. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what, stay safe, stay home does at that point, right? What staying home right. does other than like, um, you know, maybe you don't get it, but it feels like we're, everybody's going to get it. Don't you think? It's, it's like it's, another piece of this. Like, I yeah. think we're all going to get it. Well, and that's always my, I, again, who knows? But my understanding was always flatten the curve means, yeah, everyone's going to get it. You just don't want everyone to get it at the same time. I've always thought that the experts have said, we expect most people to get this. We just don't want to surge the hospitals. And so now the question is, how do most people get it? I mean, is it by going through these different phases? Is herd immunity part of this? I feel like herd immunity has been a crutch a lot of people have used to say like, no, go out, live your life. We need herd immunity with no real understanding of what that looks like. But one of the things I've heard is to really kind of beat coronavirus is at least a 70% exposure. So 70% of the population having been exposed and having had coronavirus, especially since a vaccine, I mean, people are saying maybe fall, but the quickest we've ever developed one was four years. I mean, there's no way you can keep this up for four years, right? No, there, um, yeah, th this is where I, like, I just don't know that there's any good options or good solutions for any of this. Yeah. Um, you, you keep everybody home until, an, until a vaccine is developed and there's really kind of seems like nothing to come back to because you know, it seems like the whole economy at that point would be devastated. And so go out and do what? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, so I think it's a difficult it's a difficult balancing act and I'm not sure that anyone, I think everybody's doing, or at least, you know, you would hope um, those who are making these decisions are doing the best they can with the information that they have. But uh, I would imagine now that, you know, we're in this, is it moderate as we're calling it, whatever orange is, uh, I would imagine you'll see more people get it. 
for sure. I mean, I, I drove around uh, over the weekend uh, just in Spanish Fork. It was like as busy as I'd ever seen it uh, everywhere. Yeah. I so, guess what I don't understand and would like clarification on is, is more people getting it part of the plan? Or at the yeah. very least expected? Yeah, I would want clarification on, is there a plan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, first and foremost. <laughs> Do you even have one of those? Uh, because yeah, it's weird. And then you're seeing like, Early on, it was like, hey, testing is the biggest thing that we can do. We need more testing, all these types of things. And now you have like the president because the federal government hasn't done in you know, a lot of people's view a good job on testing. Now the president's like, testing's, you know, that's not that important. Like, oh, what, right. What's so funny that became clear over the weekend is he thinks that testing prevents coronavirus. He thinks that testing is like a emergency for colds. Like you take a test and that means you're not going to get the virus. When he was talking about uh, Vice President Pence's, uh, his communications person who tested positive for this, he's like, yeah, you know, it's just, you really can't rely on tests because she kept taking tests and they were negative. And then one day it's positive just goes to show that these tests, they don't really, you know, they don't really do what you think they're going to do. And like, no, they're doing what all the rest of us think they're going to do. They're not doing what you thought they did. Um, speaking of it, it's not like just him either. Myself. Like, like I'm seeing like uh, so many people saying like, Oh, Oh, like look at Iowa. They've increased testing and now their infection rates are going up. It uh, seems like testing isn't the solution. It's like, no, that's what testing does. That's math. <laughs> that's literally what testing does. More people you test, the more, the higher, you know, uh, the more knowledge you're going to have and the more numbers of people who have it you're going to discover. The, the best way to have a low infection rate is not test anyone and just not know that number. Well, and President Trump, actually, I just saw a headline on um, NPR about this, but he just came out and said, like, look, the more testing they do, the worse we look. And okay, sure, but the more people who die, the worse we look, too. I mean, testing is meant to help us identify and contain cases. That's the whole point in case that is lost on anyone, say maybe our president. We are testing to better understand this thing and to better protect other people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in the White House who seem to have coronavirus right now, which is pretty, pretty crazy. It's yeah. fascinating. Uh, and Pence had said, no, I'm not going to isolate. And then today he said, actually, I'm probably going to isolate. They have Fauci isolated. I think the head of the CDC, whose name I don't remember, is self-quarantining just to be safe. It's crazy. It's wild. Um, do you want to hear a little bit about what contact tracing is looking like right now in Utah? Yeah, let's do it. I think this is really interesting because contact tracing is something that we've, we've said is kind of necessary for containing this here in the state. We need to know where these cases are coming from. Um, and who it may have been spread to. It's a lot of manpower to do contact tracing. It's a lot of people making calls, and uh, here's why. So if a person tests positive for coronavirus, 
someone from the county calls that person. They have that person identify anyone with whom they've had close contact, and close contact means within six feet for 10 minutes or more in the last 48 hours. So depending on who you are and how well you've been social distancing, this could be anywhere from like one to you know, everyone who was at the grocery store at the same time you were, if you were around them for 10 minutes and within six feet or more. Um, so those people are encouraged to socially distance themselves um, and get tested. And then they call all of those other people that they've identified having come in contact with, and they tell them to do active monitoring. Um, and then if those people develop symptoms, it's not even like, go get a test. It's like, okay, you've got this. And then we need to call all of the people you have come in contact with. So again, that's anybody you've come in contact with for the last 48 hours that you were around for more than 10 minutes, 10 minutes or more and within six feet and then so on and so forth. So you start with one person and you're very exponentially branching out until you've got all of these potential exposures. So right now we have 1,200 people in the state working on this, making the calls. And the next week they're hoping to go back as far as seven days because there's a lag time between exposure and developing symptoms. So for anyone who tests positive, they want to go back, identify anybody they've come in contact with over a week. And even for people who are super paranoid and not leaving their house like me, those people are still going places and coming in contact with people. And it is a lot. It takes a lot of work to get this done. So I thought that was a really interesting breakdown of how this works and why really it is kind of such a tough job and why it requires so many people making so many calls. It sounds exhausting. Yes. Thank you for those who are doing it. That sounds like a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, you know, and then they've also had to take into consideration people who don't speak English, um, some of our underrepresented populations. And so they have county employees who speak Spanish, Thai, Loatian, Chinese. And then we have a refugee population here. And so if a refugee is diagnosed with COVID-19, they can work with refugee organizations to find someone who speaks the given language and work with that person. So it's, yeah, it's seeing a lot of people doing a lot of good work. So thank those county employees when you see them. It's crazy. Well, coronavirus is still here. It's still here. part of our lives. Mission still something not we're dealing with. No, not even close. Yeah, I mean, until you get a vaccine, we're going to be living with this thing. Yeah, and you know, I saw an economist kind of posturing. It was actually the Moody's analytics head um, saying that the economy is not recovering till there's a vaccine. Like we can do the best we can, um, but the virus is what's driving the economy. And as long as the virus is here, the economy is going to suffer. So all the more reason to put our resources into trying to find a vaccine and make it safe and make it available for a lot of people. Yeah. Finally, Jerry Stiller, the great Jerry Stiller, uh, passed away. Yeah. George's dad. Too bad. Ben Stiller's actual dad. Ben Stiller's uh, actual dad. George Costanza's TV dad. Uh, and he was, he was phenomenal. He was phenomenal in all sorts of things. Obviously, he's phenomenal in Seinfeld. Uh, he did a couple movies with his son, The Heartbreak Kid. You ever see The Heartbreak Kid? I never did. Yeah, he actually plays Ben's father. His, uh, even though he's his actual father, he plays his father in that movie. Uh, he's also in Zoolander with Ben. Yep. And he's awesome in that. And so, yeah. Isn't he, 
He's also Potato Head on Toy Story, right? Really? I didn't know that. I think so. I hope I'm right. I hope that's not false information. I hope this is not fake news. Even if it is, it doesn't seem to matter. All right. Well, we'll see everybody on Tuesday. Enjoy your Monday. Uh, Enjoy all the Zoom calls and everything else everyone has to do and stay safe. Yeah. Thanks, guys.